I hate to say it, but hurt comes to everyone's life in one way or another. For some, it's more severe than others. Of course, when using a generic term like hurt, it can mean physical, emotional, or spiritual damage. It can even be a potent combination of the three. In fact, it usually blends the three because when we're hurting in one area, it bleeds into the other two eventually. A friend once said to me, don't let your pain go to waste. And that stuck with me for many years. Every hardship has a lesson or multiple lessons embedded within it. Indeed, this is the essence of Paul's anointed thinking when he wrote of learning to be content in every situation. Today, I want to give you nine things to remember when hurting, humbly written from one hurt person to another. Also, in about a minute, I'm going to walk down memory lane and give you my top 10 all-time favorite Carmen songs. This is Apostolic Voice, and I'm your host, Ryan French, so let's go. saddened to hear of the death of Christian music legend Carmen. In my formative years, Carmen's music was unique because it employed a lot of Pentecostal terminology. There was nothing vague about Carmen's message. It was all up in your face, as one song boldly declared. I hungered for holiness, longed for a righteous invasion of truth, told the devil to get out of my life, rebuked demons in Jesus' name, marched in the army of the Lord, believed for a revival in the land, and applauded when Carmen warned the warlock that hell was real. Carmen was accused of being gimmicky, and in a lot of ways he probably was, but his bold music touched millions of people and I'm one of them. In this decade of touchy-feely music that mostly seems to be missing a backbone, I find myself reaching back to older songs for the unflinching, audacious Christian boldness that typified Carmen's music. In memorial of a great Christian artist, and for fun, I've created a list of my top 10 all-time favorite Carmen songs. Oh, and I'd love to see a list of your top 10 all-time favorite Carmen songs, too. Just reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or the Instagrammy face thing, or through their website, RyanAFrench.com. But first, I want to congratulate the three listeners who are receiving a free copy of the book, Let's Be Honest, by Jeremy Gove. I promised in episode 13 that I'd give a copy to the first three people to like the Apostolic Voice Facebook page. And the winners of that are Joan Hardy, Kay Popek, and Lorraine Gerber. Thanks to all three of you from the bottom of my heart for listening and for connecting with Apostolic Voice on social media. I truly appreciate it. And uh, and I'm going to be sending you this week a copy of Let's Be Honest by Jeremy Gove. All right, without further ado, my top 10 all-time favorite Carmen songs. I think if you could only buy one Carmen album, And maybe some of you remember the days you couldn't just buy one song yet. You had to buy the whole tape or CD, or if you want to go further back, the whole record. And you had to do that even if you only liked one song. But if you could only buy one Carmen album, I think it should be the 1993 release, Revival in the Land. I remember saving up my tape stamps. They used to do these these loyalty programs at at Christian bookstores, especially at family Christian bookstores, which was my favorite back in the day. 
And they did these programs where if you bought like five tapes and saved these little stamps or stickers that were that were on them, you could turn them in for a free tape. And and I begged, borrowed and bought enough of those stamps to get Revival in the Land the day it was released in 1993. I wore that tape out and eventually upgraded to the CD. And the title track to that album comes in at number 10 on my list of all-time favorite Carmen songs, Revival in the Land, more of a musical drama than a song, which was was typical of Carmen's music. Uh, sometimes his songs were, were more of a... Uh, a story or a spoken word drama, and they were used in in churches on a pretty regular basis as as a drama or the backdrop to a drama. And Revival in the Land was one of the first ones that I heard, and then I started going back and hearing some of his older things and loved that as well. Also on that album, coming in at number nine, is the song This Blood. Uh, really, I, I feel like it should have been titled This Blood is for You. That's what people called the song. So many Easter dramas in the 90s played This Blood is for You and and uh, someone would come in carrying a cross and just a beautiful song. In fact, for people who, who don't consider Carmen to be a, a great singer, This Blood is for You really did show that he, he wasn't just uh, uh, someone who was kind of entertaining-ish or an entertainer, but he really was a great singer as well in his own, in his own right. Number eight, a little-known song that uh, probably most people haven't heard off his album Coming On Strong. The song was called This Thing Is Real. Very, very Pentecostal song, talking about receiving the Holy Ghost, and uh, I loved that song. Number seven, number seven, getting a little later in the 90s here, uh, the song was called Riot. The album was called Riot, and uh, it was an acronym. It stood for Righteous Invasion of Truth. I sang Righteous Invasion of Truth for, oh my goodness, embarrassing, but loved that one. Number six on my list of all-time favorite Carmen songs. Number six, another spoken word drama called Jericho, The Shout of Victory, off the the record Radically Saved. And then number five is the title track to that album, Radically Saved. Just an awesome, awesome song. Number four, again, off Revival in the Land, God's Got an Army. Everybody in the 90s knew God's Got an Army. Number three. Here's one that most of you probably don't know. Uh, if you're not, if you're not real, real familiar with Carmen's music, you may not have heard this song. But it's called "Overcoming Child of God," and it's just, it's just fun. It's encouraging. It's awesome. If you haven't heard it, go look up "Overcoming Child of God." Number two, number two in my list of all-time favorite Carmen songs. Another spoken word drama called A Witch's Invitation, where Carmen tells the story. Now, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but the story of being invited by a warlock to come and and talk to him and Carmen's confrontation with, with that warlock. And it's really awesome. Number one, my number one all time favorite Carmen song coming in at number one is Hunger for Holiness, a powerful powerful anthem that I still find myself singing in times of prayer. When I'm getting ready to pray at the end of a time of prayer, I'll catch myself singing, Lord, I hunger for holiness. What an amazing song that that we really ought to go back to if we can. And that's it. 
my top 10 all-time favorite Carmen songs. Thanks for all the music, Carmen. You'll be missed. Unless you're living under a rock, you're aware that free speech is under assault right now. Big tech is increasingly censoring religious programming and making it hard for Christians' voices to have a digital platform. I predict this problem is going to worsen as time goes on. That's why I'm asking you to consider supporting this podcast on a monthly basis. You can financially support us by giving as little as 99 cents a month, or you can give $4.99 or $9.99 a month. Just go to www.anchor.com. Dot fm forward slash apostolic voice forward slash support. That link is in the show notes on the device you're using to listen right now, and you should be able to just click the link and it will take you where you need to go. Thank you to everyone who's already done so. Also, please consider giving Apostolic Voice a five-star rating and review on iTunes. They're the big ones, and they are screening religious programming, sometimes even hiding reviews and rankings. However, if we flood them with reviews, it's more difficult for them to deny our request to post them. Also, keep sharing on social media, and let's be unashamed of our faith, even in the big tech realm. Thank you for listening and lifting us up in prayer. God bless. Today, I want to give you nine things to remember when you're hurting, and you can go to RyanAFrench.com and you can find the article of that same name, nine things to remember when you're hurting. Hurt's a terrible thing, and unfortunately, everybody hurts deeply at some point in their life. If you're not hurting right now, you will, and if you're not hurting right now, you probably love someone deeply who is hurting, and so here's a few a few things to, to put in your heart, in your spirit and keep it close for the days when you're hurting or to give you perspective on how to help someone else who is hurting. Number one is very important. You're not alone. You're not the only one hurting. Pain has a way of causing us to turn inward and become unintentionally selfish. It's easy to forget that others are hurting too. That doesn't minimize or detract from what we're going through. But it does put our pain in perspective when we realize others have their own unique hurts and problems. Now, there are extreme times of trauma when we need those closest to us to drop everything and be available. But those moments can't and won't last forever. It's intensely selfish to assume our hurt is the worst hurt. And it's also incredibly freeing to know that we're not alone in our pain. Finding someone who's experienced similar difficulties and recovered is often the most encouraging thing we can do. I had to undergo four open-heart surgeries as a child. I was six when they operated on my heart the fourth time. And not too many years after that, Jonathan, my younger brother, was diagnosed with leukemia and underwent years of treatment. My family spent lots and lots of time in and around hospitals. Huge chunks of my childhood memories revolve around painful medical procedures. I have vivid memories of being very young, lying in a hospital bed with tubes in and around my body, feeling like the most hurt kid in the world. I remember one day in particular, the door to my hospital room flung open and two nurses wheeled in a young boy who was missing both his legs. He was groaning with pain. And at that moment, 
the realization dawned on my young brain that my pain wasn't the only pain in the world. To this day, if I start to feel like my pain is the only pain in the world, I walk into a children's hospital and remember that hurt is a universal human condition. If you're hurting today, remember, you're not alone in your hurt. People care about you. And also, what you're going through is not necessarily unique to you. I know it feels like it is. And I know it feels like no one could ever possibly understand what you're going through. But others have experienced pain. And others are with you in your pain. Hurt doesn't give anyone a license to be a jerk. Years ago, I heard an old farmer tell the story of how one of his prized Tennessee walkers managed to escape his stable on a warm summer afternoon. After hours of searching, the old man found his treasured horse hopelessly tangled in rusty old barbed wire fencing. It broke the farmer's heart watching that majestic beast trying in vain to break through. But with every effort, the shards of barbed wire embedded themselves deeper into the bloody wounds. With soothing words and a cautious step, the old farmer inched his way towards the grand animal with wire cutters in hand, but he wasn't careful enough. From the corner of his eye, he saw the hoof coming, but it was too late. He felt an explosive sensation in his head, and everything went black. When he awoke, the horse was almost dead, and he was too. You know, the old axiom is true that hurting people hurt people. Sadly, this creates a cycle of pain in the hurting person's life. Hurting people isolate themselves by constructing self-imposed barriers between them and those who care about them the most. It's difficult not to be caustic, sarcastic, and just a little narcissistic when you're hurting deeply. Truly hurting people may lash out at random strangers or even their closest friends and family members, alienating them further and intensifying their pain. Like the horribly mangled Tennessee Walker, hurting people don't necessarily mean to lash out or act like a jerk. Sometimes it's just a reflexive reaction. Regardless, pain doesn't give anyone the right to attack the people around them, and it only makes the situation worse. If you're hurting, resist the urge to lash out. And if you know someone who's hurting and you see them lash out or they hurt you in their hurt, remember, they're not trying to and try to give them some grace. Number three, all hurts can be healed. There might be scars that never quite disappear, and the healing may not come when and how we want it to appear, but God will send healing if we remain righteous. And that's the key, that's the key thought. One of the most encouraging passages in the Bible is Psalm 37, verses 17 through 19. I'll read it for you. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. The Bible never tries to sugarcoat the reality that righteous people will be afflicted. Yet God will deliver the righteous from all their troubles. That little word all is so important because it encompasses physical, spiritual, and emotional hurt. There is no hurt that God cannot heal. There is no wound so deep that God cannot mend it. And the righteous are never closer to God than when they're brokenhearted. Even when we're waiting and even when we're looking, desperately longing for the healing, the healer is with us. 
All right, number four is very important to remember when you're hurting. God is present even when you don't feel him. The greatest saints in the Bible often felt as if God was absent in their trouble. The prophet Isaiah lamented, God, where are your dramatic, awe-inspiring works in my day? He had heard of times past when God would rend the heavens and come down, when people quaked in God's presence. But where was that God now, Isaiah asked. He shouted in dismay, you've hidden your face from us. The psalmist Asaph cried, we are given no signs from God, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. And Gideon, right before God used him to destroy an entire Midianite army with only 300 men, said to the angel, if the Lord is really with us, where are all his wonderful deeds like the ones our fathers told us about? If you want to learn powerful lessons about finding purpose in pain, read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. It's the true story of Corey's life during World War II and her family's efforts to hide Jews from the Nazis. Eventually, the Nazis caught Corey and her sister, Betsy, and, and threw them into a concentration camp. In Hitler's death camp, they experienced unspeakable horrors. A little gem in the story is the recounting of Corey and Betsy's first night in Nazi barracks. The bunk beds were stacked three levels high and barely offered enough room for a person to squeeze into them. Usually two or three ladies were forced to share a single four-foot-wide rancid straw mattress. While laying there fighting nausea because of the stench and claustrophobia, Corey felt something bite her leg. Fleas, she shouted. Looking closely, Corey and Betsy realized the entire room was swarming with fleas. How can we live in such a place, Corey moaned. Betsy began to pray and asked the Lord to show them how they could endure this nightmare. Suddenly, a scripture came to Betsy's mind that she had been reading earlier in the day. It was 1 Thessalonians 5, 14-18. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Betsy was firm. We must thank God for the fleas. Understandably, Corey was shocked and annoyed at the idea of thanking God for the fleas. Corey couldn't find it in her heart to thank God for something so awful that night. As the weeks passed, Betsy's health weakened to the point that rather than needing to go out and work duty each day, she was permitted to remain in the barracks and knit socks together with other seriously ill prisoners. She was a lightning-fast knitter and usually had her daily sock quota completed by noon. Because of that, she had hours each day that she could spend moving from place to place reading the Bible to fellow prisoners in the barracks. She was able to do this undetected because the guards never seemed to come into the barracks. One evening when Corey got back to the barracks, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, Corey told her. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in this big room, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where the sleeping platforms were. Well, I figured it out. This afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes, so we asked the supervisor to come in and settle it, but she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice as she exclaimed, because of the fleas. That's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas. Listen, Corey, God had a purpose for the fleas. God had a reason. 
because we have freedom here that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So in that story, God had a purpose for the fleas that Corey couldn't see. She couldn't see or feel God in that situation, but he was there working all things together for her good all along. I promise you, if you can't feel God in your pain, God is with you. God is working on your behalf, and you will realize looking back that God was working with you and for you all along. Number five, your response to hurt will determine whether you come out stronger or weaker on the other side. Job lost everything, children, health, and wealth, but he refused to sin or charge God foolishly. And because of his righteous response, God gave Job more abundant blessings after the pain than he had before the pain. Joseph had visions and dreams from God, but his jealous brothers sold him into slavery. He was persecuted, falsely accused, tossed into prison, forgotten, ignored. But Joseph never stopped trusting the Lord or serving the Lord. Not only was he restored, but God elevated Joseph to places he could never have imagined. Learning how to react correctly to hurt is possibly the most essential life skill we can learn. Two thieves hung on crosses next to Jesus. It isn't possible to adequately describe the agony of crucifixion, but crucifixion is one of the most excruciating and traumatic ways to die. Both thieves were suffering in precisely the same way, but one thief scoffed and the other begged Jesus to remember him. Jesus responded to the tormented thief begging for remembrance and promised him a place in paradise that very day. Our response to God while hurting can mean the difference between heaven and hell. Number six, there are valuable lessons to be learned while hurting. In his classic work, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis wrestled openly with the big questions of human suffering. He offers insights into revelations received during the most painful seasons of his life. Lewis wrote, I should very much like to live in a universe which was governed by such lines where happiness and kindness abound, and they always lead to good things. But since it is abundantly clear that I don't, And since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. Love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. Kindness, merely as such, cares not whether its object becomes good or bad, provided only that it escapes suffering. Only through suffering could Lewis gain such insight into the nature of God. In my own life, I've only traversed the deepest wellsprings of revelation through grief. Some insights can only be achieved through pain. Some depths can only be explored in the darkest places. Some epiphanies flash like lightning in the middle of terrible storms. Learn to look for lessons strewn about in the tempests of suffering, and you'll find priceless gems sparkling in the mud. Number seven, anointing is forged and perfected in fiery furnaces. In yet another definitive work, Beyond the Shadowlands, C.S. Lewis wrote, and I quote, God loves us, so he makes us the gift of suffering. Through suffering, we release our hold on the toys of this world. We're like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men. The blows of his chisel, which hurt us so much, are what makes us perfect. The suffering in this world is not the failure of God's love for us. It is that love in action. Wow, what an amazing revelation. 
be careful praying for God to give you anointing. He, he will do it. It's kind of like praying for humility or praying for patience. God will give it to you, but it'll be painful. God will place you in situations if you long for anointing, where you will be forced to stand when everyone else is bowing down. And he will ask you to bow when everyone else is standing. The anointing will take you to the furnaces and fires of decision and sacrifice. The process is difficult, but the refining is worth it. Number eight, hiding from helpers only makes hurting hurt worse. When Jonathan, my brother, was battling leukemia, I met a little boy in the children's hospital in Chicago. His name was Jordan, and he was very young, and as you can imagine, he was very scared. The doctors and nurses seemed to him very large and imposing, so he would try to hide from them when possible. This, of course, was extremely disturbing to his parents, who just wanted him to get good treatment. But it was impossible to make that little boy understand why doctors sometimes do things that hurt so we can heal. He turned hiding from his helpers into a game of cat and mouse. We humans tend to be like Jordan when we're hurting and when we're scared. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we hide from the one and the ones who want to help us the most. But this can cause serious damage and, and keep us from getting the help we desperately need. Resist the urge to isolate and hide when pain is acute. Please don't let fear or pride or shame or anything else keep you from allowing helpers to fix your hurt. Number nine, hurt is only a season that will soon pass. According to Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8, there's a time and a season for everything under the sun. There's a time for life and death, planting and reaping, killing and healing, destroying and building, mourning and laughter. There's even a time for losing and winning. But there is one season the Bible never mentions, and that's a season for quitting. Because in the economy of God, there is no giving up. Quitting is not an option. Human reasoning says failure is not an option, but that's not so. God can handle our failures as long as we don't quit. The great thing about understanding that life operates in seasons is the accompanying knowledge that painful seasons will pass. Seasons are, by definition, temporary. Winter seems eternal, but it's not. All the death gives way to life, and spring bursts forth. So never give up. Take courage and keep your faith because good things are coming your way.